0: Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. There was no clapping noise. Um, I don't know what episode we're on. 127, I think. Let's just go I... with it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm not
1: sure. No. It's <laughs> been but... a while since i that's that's all I know. <laughs> no, well,
0: unless you've been listening, which obviously you would be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Obviously, That sound like mm hmm. Yeah, mm hmm.
1: <laughs> I do listen. I do listen when I get a chance.
0: Good. <laughs> that would mean that mean that would mean we've got at least five downloads. I suppose the previous weeks, I'd imagine, because usually have four. So that'd be five, unless yeah, you're one of the four.
1: I might be. You never yeah. know. Who else isn't listening?
0: I tell you, who isn't. Richie Kurt, no actually that's a lie, Richie Kurt, so um, I have an apology to make for, um, for on behalf of uh, the group, the No Nonsense Nutrition group, um, I may have called Richie a C word last, like you next Tuesday on, um, not last week, the week before's podcast, um, Luke referred to him as Voldemort, which I don't know, it's worse, having not seen Star Wars, I don't really know who Voldemort is, but.
1: Star Wars? It's a joke. It's a joke. Don't fall Sorry. for it.
0: Don't fall for it. Ah, oh, you it.
1: <laughs> I was almost very triggered then.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, I've never seen Harry Potter, though. True story.
1: Bloody hell.
0: Not read the books either. Not interested. Oh, my
1: goodness. I read them. My dad read them to me when I was, like, five or six. Like, really young.
0: Before I, I could think. Oh, while. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I suppose so. I, I, can, I, think, I think the only part of Harry Potter I've ever seen was, I don't know, let's say a 50-minute block of the first one and when I now I think back to when I saw that I can imagine that probably was at least 12 years ago maybe longer no definitely longer no no actually I've just got that wrong probably 20 years
1: the books were out first weren't they and then the films after that so
0: well bear in mind that I've been married for seven years in something like three weeks I should know my anniversary date shouldn't i (laughs) um and i was with jenna for a couple of years before then and i remember watching part of harry potter around an ex-girlfriend's house so that's kind i'm trying to work out a time frame of how long ago it was so bare minimum 12 years
1: but probably
0: 15 to 20 i don't even know 20 seems like a long time ago that doesn't feel like 20 years ago but maybe it was i don't
1: know it's probably around well no maybe like 18, 15 to 18 years mm. was probably when I was reading the book.
0: That's outrageous. That's that old, actually. So probably just go- yeah. just consult Google and find out, but I can't be bothered. Um, but anyway, <laughs> by the by, um, yeah, I've never seen Harry Potter other than that 50-minute block, which not really interesting, although I have been to Harry Potter world, which I did quite enjoy. So... In
1: Watford? The
0: one in Watford? No, in America. Oh. Oh. Well, they do it properly, not in fucking the United Kingdom.
1: I'm hopefully going next year, so...
0: I'm sure it's probably good actually, but you know, I've I've obviously not just not gone out of my way to go because I'm not that interested in Harry Potter.
1: No, I've um, been to the one in the UK, just not the one in America.
0: That's very good. But yeah. I only went because obviously it's part of Universal Studios and I like rides and stuff, so I like theme parks.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: So me too. how um I've forgotten how we even got onto the con concept. Oh yes, Voldemort. He was called Voldemort because basically Luke Hanna uh, mentioned something about Richie's... Actually, I should probably just take it all the way back to the start. Basically, Richie got asked on his own podcast what are good podcasts to listen to when he was speaking to um, Rebecca on his. And neither of them, neither shouted us out, which I was furious about. I, I said, I don't th- I'm not sure we can come back from this, mate, after not giving us a shout out.
1: Yeah, I listen to his podcast as well all the time. I'd recommend him.
0: No, you don't. Oh, Not anymore, no. No, no, no. no, thank God. So basically, I think Luke wanted to reference him in the one we did, obviously, uh, a week before last on the Game Changers. So the vegan episode we did. Um, Because he said basically Richie had a good story about it. I said, no, don't mention his name because he's dead to me um and then luke decided to refer to him as voldemort instead because he's the one who can't be named i don't really get the harry potter reference i'm assuming there's something in, an internal like inside harry potter joke there which i didn't get but
1: yeah well he who cannot be named is voldemort so
0: well there you go so
1: yeah.
0: i obviously wouldn't know that albeit i could probably piece that together so anyway so that cut a long story short that's why long short short a long story short that's why i call them a cnx tuesday so, I felt like maybe it was a bit strong, a bit of reaction. I think I was just hurt and angry, and I lashed out, so Richard Kerwin, the second, I don't even know if he's the second, but sounded right. um I am sorry, and I profusely apologize, albeit I'm still really upset that you didn't shout us out. On your own,
1: Uh, maybe if he listens to this, he can shout us out on his next
0: episode. Well, he's already tried to. He's already tried this, so he did Uh, shout us out. He shouted the vegan episode out with Luke on his own Instagram stories to basically say, "Go give it a listen." Probably because he felt incredibly guilty.
1: mm, So so he should really.
0: (laughs) Anyway, Francesca, how the devil are you? Obviously, like you said, it's been a while. Yeah, listeners probably are thinking, "Whatever happened to Fran?"
1: I drowned underneath a mountain of dissertation work, <laughs> and then started my new job on the day I handed my dissertation in. So yeah, it's been um, it's been fairly busy. I got through my dissertation and handed it in a couple of days early, which was nice. Good. And then started working at British Triathlon on the Monday that it was due, um, and that's what I've been doing since. Did,
0: did on really. the dis- on the dissertation? Did you uh, get to a point where you were just like, oh, you know what? I just I could do more for those two days, but I just can't be bothered. I just want to get rid of it.
1: Yeah, I submitted it and I thought, oh, I might go back and change a bit or I might add a bit to my discussion. And I just didn't ever go back. Yeah. I just I thought I'd done as much as I could. And at the end of the day, I just needed to pass the dissertation part to get my masters. So fingers crossed, I get my results on Friday. But fingers crossed, that's all... Pass
0: ticked off, mm-hmm. and I will be Francesca Bolt MSc. MSc. Mm. MSc wow. BS. MSc- I thought he said, <laughs> said MSc BS. So that's not very really, <laughs> really nice. Well,
1: partly. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure there's some stuff in there, regardless of um, how well you might respect some of it. I'm sure there's some parts of the syllabus where you like what.
1: Yeah, there was definitely some parts which we're just quite dry, I suppose, after you've worked with people to then go right back to the theory that they teach. It's kind of like, yeah, that doesn't always play out in practice quite as perfectly as you teach it, but yeah.
0: So w- were there any bits where you are like, I, d- I don't think this is up to date, correct, or... Um... Or was it because maybe it's an area you're, you're learning that you, you don't know everything about, hence you're learning it, that, I don't know.
1: It was more, it was just some of the, um, I suppose, more practical side of things. I felt like they didn't really teach us how to, like, work with a person. They kind of taught us a theory. So, like, um, these are the things that you would look for and these are the things you'd talk about with an athlete. But they didn't really ever kind of give us much, I don't know, hands-on, hands you know, like. Yeah. God, that was a fun. Loud firework in the background.
0: So a firework.
1: <laughs> I think so. Not um, yeah, not so much like hands-on um, practical work. Yeah. But again, I guess that's not something that I um, went and sort of like sought out through the uni because I was already doing my own stuff with clients. Yeah. For um, sure. so. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. It, it was a it was a tough year mentally to get through as well because I was quite ready to leave uni by this point. Um, yeah, they're they uh, sounds
0: like you're at a theme park and you're at the theme <laughs> park show Right outside my
1: window,
0: <laughs> free fireworks! Hooray! Yeah,
1: so I'm I'm glad I'm through it now, and it does feel like quite a long time ago that I finished. Yeah. Um just because life's moved quite quickly since then, I suppose. I,
0: th- I suppose like it does show the respect you have to give to people like I don't know people that we like in the industry that are both researchers and also very good at the practical application stuff. So the likes of like Eric Helms or. The other Eric Trexler, I really like, and you know Greg Knuckles and those types of people. Where you think like they're incredibly well researched and obviously done the research themselves, but also incredibly good at taking that and simplifying it and making it into practical stuff. One for people to use, but also to use with their own clients. So yeah, 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 no, for
1: sure. yeah. Okay. And now I'm into the nine to five life, so I suppose my priorities have shifted a bit. I train less. I have less time for myself, I have less time to do things, but I quite like the routine of working versus the masters where it was all kind of uh, like flexible, I could mm-hmm. structure myself how I liked.
0: Yeah, some would say that routine is key to success
1: mm-hmm.
0: and consistency in many walks no. of life. Mm-hmm. I, sure. ma- I imagine it's a bit of a shock to the system.
1: It, it was, uh, but I've always been quite a morning person. So I think the thing that suffered the most for the first couple of weeks was actually, well, the first week I basically had no life because I was so tired by the end of the day. I just wanted to go to sleep. But I think the thing that suffered the most was training probably Mm -hmm. just because after a long day in the office, like being sat down, um, it it was just hard to motivate myself to go to the gym and do a two-hour training session.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But I'm...
1: I'm into a better routine
0: now, so. That's... Yeah, sometimes it's just that feeling it out, getting into what routine is going to work for the change. Like I, like when I had kids, that's exactly what happened to me. I went from being a, an evening trainer straight from, from work to now, obviously training early in the morning. And now since I've not been at work, I've been training like mostly lunch times, mm. um, I'd give or take the odd day. Like Sunday mornings, I tend to train, and I, like it's just a, literally I had to just work out something that I changed, and I do. I, I found that actually. I enjoy mornings more than I do evenings. I, I think that sometimes now where I've had to be flexible in my training, and I've trained in because obviously home gym, train my like anyway. Um, yeah. When I've actually had to train evenings for whatever reason because of doing something social or whatever, I've hated it. Yeah, and i think to myself. I don't know how I used to train at five o'clock. I feel sluggish, like my motivation to do it is quite low. And yeah,
1: yeah. It. No, that's kind of what I'm battling at the moment. So. Yeah, by the time five o'clock comes round, it's kind of like right a hit of caffeine, some carbs, and I literally cycle on the way home Mm. past the gym, which does make it a little bit easier because it's not like I have to go out of my way. It's not like I have to drive half an hour to the gym on my way home. It is literally a five-minute cycle to the gym, so I I can't complain. It is set up so that I should be successful in going to the gym, but it's not,
0: not. It's not. I don't think. I think you're probably under. Um, not what's the word? Uh You're not giving yourself enough credit. I think many people can say, "Oh, my life's not set up." You set your life up how you just like basically. People that are successful are people that create habits and create an environment and a setup and all those things for success. And again, yeah. like cliches, it is for dieting, for training, for anything in life. I think they they're like the key fundamentals to success in terms of in setting up your environment setting up your habits and setting up these things to make sure that you have the best possible chance of success and things like that like prime example like I said I was gonna try, I was gonna, I'm i the most consistent trainer like almost always have been since I've been training because I used to do exactly what you said I used to go on the way home I never used to go home first because if I went home first I wouldn't go out again and obviously exactly. it's just making sure you do that that's called setting up your environment and setting up your mm-hmm. thing so I think anyone listening they should take stock and say look if I want to be successful at this, I have to make some changes so that I make it as easy as possible for me I think James Clear, read that book if anyone's got it called Atomic Habits it's brilliant, and it just talks to you about how to do that type of stuff in 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 anything really. You can apply it to any any type of situation where you want to kind of develop good habits. So
1: yeah, like the other day, I decided I decided I wanted to run in my lunch break at work. So I went to work in my running shoes and told the lady that I sit next to. I was like, I'm going for a run this lunchtime. And then came come lunchtime, she said, Are you off to your run? Are you off on your run now? And I was like, Well
0: i am now Uh,
1: i am now (laughs) there's no way out because i have my running shoes on and i've brought all my stuff with me and i've told you for some accountability so
0: yeah that's it that is that's exactly what i was talking about that's exactly the type of stuff about setting up your environment for success and not setting up for failure and it might just be like we've said it before i think on the podcast and some of the episodes but setting up your gym bag or like packing your gym bag ready for the morning if you train in the morning so that you haven't got an excuse to stay in bed almost or like your gym bag's ready there so you might as well go or Yeah, you know putting your running trainers by the door or whatever it might be it's just kind of doing that thing and once it becomes habit it literally does become habit as obvious as that sounds now i've said it (laughs) but it it soon does
1: i also like how i think having a training program as well and i know i train on monday tuesday thursday friday and sunday Mm -hmm. and that's like my non-negotiable like I, I, i go to the gym on those days it's just what i do and i think as soon as you kind of if you say to yourself, oh, I could do it today, I could do it tomorrow, you'll just keep pushing off and off and off. And then, yeah, yeah. I but, I like having a schedule for that
0: yeah, as well. Yeah, me too. I think that maybe I might go on some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, a nice little segue. But mm-hmm. the, like, the idea of having a training structure or schedule is, again, really quite motivational in the way if you know you've got like four days you have to train and you've got a set program versus someone that, basically just goes to the gym and doesn't have a set program they can easily skip off a day and not think twice about it because it's kind of like well they didn't have a they didn't have a set day that they worry about losing in air quotes because you know they they would have only really just like tr- exercised almost whereas when you've got a training program where you've got kind of specific stuff on the structure when you skip it it's noticeable you didn't do it yeah so, again that can just keep you kind of thinking oh I, I can't miss that because i've missed the entire day that and i haven't done leg day say or i haven't done this day or whatever it might your structure might be
1: yeah For me, I've got a coach for my powerlifting, so it's accountability. If I don't send him videos by 9pm each night, he'll message me and say, have you trained today? (laughs) So, yeah, having a coach that kind of also keeps me accountable and I have to put my numbers into a spreadsheet and I have to let him know how I've got on, I have to send him my videos. And if I don't, then... Yeah, what's the point in having a coach,
0: really? I mean, there might be people that obviously don't want to coach or don't want to be quite so structured, which is fine. But I suppose, like, if they also want to have some level of success or, you know, kind of create those habits, then even if it's just a case of, like, you you say, non negotiables, I train four days a week and that's it. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you've got to tick it off whenever you end up doing them kind of thing. Or it might be like you train Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and that's non negotiable because that's what you do. And the rest of the time, you do what you like. Again, there could be some simple habits to set up anyway we, we kind of digress um, mm-hmm. albeit useful I think um in terms of today then is it, oh, actually not right. so before we go on today what we could talk about anything else happened new people to um,
1: not really no, no. Oh, oh actually um I'm starting a new role tomorrow in my job um so Already? I was working I was working in the memberships department and then a role came up in the performance department um, within British triathlon um, so I applied and got that role. Um, So I'm going to be, I think, I don't even know what my official job title is, Um, but basically the youth um, GB squads or the youth um, squads that are hopefully going to go on and develop and become Olympians and all of these grand plans. um, I'm basically coordinating um, their season and their training and their camps. I get to go on their camps with them and hopefully I get to cook with them and teach them life skills and yeah, pretty much be their, like, mother figure on the camps, but also organise their races, make sure they're having good seasons, make sure they're set up to go to university and things like that. Oh,
0: wow. Well, congrats.
1: But that's That starts tomorrow, hence why I was quite keen to get an early night tonight, or I will be getting an early night tonight.
0: Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's Demac- amazing. Well, that'd tomorrow. Be cool. um, All right. Well, then, without further ado, without keeping mm-hmm. you too much longer, um, we, today, are going to talk about nutrition for bulking, massing, I suppose the term for people that, I mean, most people don't know what that term means, but basically trying to gain muscle. And I, like, we've got a few ideas obviously you want to speak about, but let's just see how the conversation goes. Okay. Um So I suppose it's like I see it as a couple of ways to look at it. Obviously nutrition for, for like, basically in terms of like what you should eat is one thing, but I think that we should probably expand it in a bit more in terms of, because basically the reason this has come up because someone asked us to do like, as a topic. So, but I think we probably expand it a bit more Around kind of like maybe some of the the pitfalls, some of the mindset stuff in terms of the challenges you might have from a mindset perspective, especially if you've been overweight in the past. Um, there would be a lot of people probably that have lost weight, dieted, and now want to obviously you know maybe reach that goal and they want to improve their physique by increasing the muscle mass and stuff. So that, obviously, I think that'd be worth talking about. Um, where do we start? Where do you want to start?
1: Uh. So how? So. I suppose, how does someone go about starting a bulk? Where, Where is the point where you say, right, today, this is where I'm going to bulk, I suppose. Yeah. Start at the beginning.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, okay. I, let, I'll chip in then, and then let's just see where this goes. So in terms of like where people start for a bulk, I personally feel like it's going to differ, obviously, from person to person almost. Um, mm-hmm. Mainly because, you know, the 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 situation or the context that I just kind of said about someone maybe dieting to lose weight and then obviously looking to put on some muscle mass they might start at a completely different pace than someone that has never dieted before um always been lean say as an example and want to put on you know like come to say oh yeah, yeah I want to put on some muscle mass mainly because um in terms of like when I say starting pace I suppose I mean like body fat or body composition so they might both hold the same muscle mass, but I can imagine that someone that's dieted for a long time might still be consider holding considerably some body fat compared to someone who's lean and never dieted. Because I guess there's a point where you can do diet for so long before things like diet fatigue kick in, before um, you just get fed up or bored or mentally kind of you just can't, you can't kind of continue, and then sometimes you need a bit of a change of goal. So it might be you might start a higher body fat percentage and and do a bulk when you really like it wouldn't be optimal ideal to bulk from that point, but it's probably ideal for some for a situation. I don't know if I explained that very well, but I suppose like the, my point is like the starting point is going to differ from person to person based on your history and you know your your body composition already and your body type and that type of stuff.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I suppose. Yeah, so someone that's never dieted before can probably—I don't know—you might, but I would say could probably be slightly more um, aggressive or assertive with what they're doing, especially if they don't have very much body fat or are looking. Say someone that that yeah is quite small and wants to put on a considerable amount of weight, so they're looking kind of 10, 15 kilos of weight, versus someone that's in a higher body fat percentage, they might literally just be looking to put on a couple of kilos and kind of optimise their training, optimise their chance of gaining muscle mass before they then decide to cut down again. So I presume that it, yeah, you might be more aggressive if you've got more, I suppose, quite and quite room to play with.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. That 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 plays in the psychological part as well as the physical, because anecdotally... I've seen and, like I've seen with clients, but to be honest, also in myself a little bit, from being previously overweight, that as much as the laws of thermodynamics apply to everybody, that isn't different, there does seem to be a propensity, anecdotally, that heavier, pe- people that have been overweight in the past seem to at least feel like they put on body fat quicker than someone that hasn't been. Now I don't really know physiologically why that might be, and it might just be you don't really put on body fat because obviously, as I said, the laws of thermodynamics are the same. So if you are in the same calorie surplus as someone else, you should do uh, like in theory put on the same amount of body fat. But maybe it just seems to look or hold different on people that have been overweight. Like I know for myself, I'd maybe feel personally like heavier than I maybe am because my like my body fat distribution based on me being overweight previously goes in all the places I, I feel the most conscious about. So I always all of a sudden feel probably like like I'm a higher body fat percentage than maybe I I am. Because of I might have pockets of fat in their areas and like might be leaner in others, whereas someone that's kind of been lean all their life and have a more even distribution, they don't feel that way. So I guess like psychologically, I might be someone that I would, if I was coaching, would be saying, as in if I was being coached, I'd be telling them, you might, from a psychological perspective, prefer to go at a slower rate, like like you've just said, because otherwise you might not commit to the process. You might you might decide, oh my god, I've got too fat too quick, and I want to diet immediately, and obviously that's not really conducive for a goal of bulking or massing or or gaining muscle mass. Um, But yeah, even physiologically, it does feel a little bit like, and that might be the body fat distribution thing, it might be, I think, maybe previously overweight people hold water differently, they maybe look softer than than, than someone that is leaner, um, or always been lean, I should say. Um, And then I guess there's also the theory of body fat cells and the fact that it's thought that body fat or fat cells don't, or adipose fat cells, adiposites I can't even fucking ever say it. Um, They don't die off or they don't disappear when people obviously lose body fat. So there's this idea that if you then put on weight again, they fill up very quickly compared to someone that hasn't got that same amount of fat cells because they weren't overweight previously. So I don't know if if that's even got anything to do. It might have, I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot of evidence of science because I don't think anyone really knows how long it takes for fat cells to basically... Because you you can imagine if, like, for anyone listening, you've got all these these body fat cells that obviously expand and obviously fill with lipids, and then as you lose weight, they basically deflate like a balloon. They don't disappear. But no one really knows whether that's for life, whether it takes 20 years for them to eventually, the cells to die off and disappear, or what. So, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I suppose there's also the whole theory that... When, well if you've been overweight and then you've dieted down that there will always be some element of metabolic adaptation mm. in terms of I guess just how much well how much your body uses at rest um, or through day-to-day life and I guess again they don't really know how long that lasts post diet and it's why a lot of people that lose a lot of weight then find it hard to keep it off because your body's almost working against you to try and gain some of it back Mm -hmm. and then I guess the other thing that I was thinking when you're talking is that someone that's previously overweight is probably going to be way more hyper aware of what's going on with their body versus someone that's never been overweight so you can imagine it's almost like you're because you've been there and you don't want to get back to that point you kind of almost overanalyze and you over critique yourself and you kind of pick apart yourself when you're putting on weight whereas someone that's um that's always been lean all their life kind of doesn't have that fear of getting mm-hmm. really fat because they've never kind of been bigger
0: yeah for sure so i guess in terms of like and i absolutely yeah i get that it does that, that certainly aligns with what i said around things like my own psychology and body fat distribution that type of stuff it completely aligns mm-hmm. with that so in terms of like rates of gain then so what should what what do we recommend as coaches people kind of look at in terms of general scale weight gain say because obviously muscle mass is a or or muscle building is quite a slow process anyway we've said that enough times on the podcast um there's loads of ways you can measure there's loads of metrics you can use basically to to kind of judge progress in terms of a bulk but if we're Mm. talking specifically about scale weight what do you recommend as a rate gain
1: so i think firstly it's important for people to i suppose come to terms with the fact that when you go into a surplus or go into a bulk or go into a gaining phase whatever you want to call it Often that scale is going to jump up um, a little bit at the beginning, just because as soon as you start to eat more, you start to have what you have more glycogen stores, uh, you have you hold on to a little bit more water, you've got more food weight in your stomach, all of those factors that will mean that the scale weight jumps up a little bit. So I think you can almost disregard what happens within those first two to four weeks um, in terms of like actual quote-unquote like fat gain or muscle mass gain or that sort of thing um and then i guess after that initial phase it, it depends whether you have decided that you are someone that wants to take a slower approach or um or maybe be slightly more aggressive with it but i'd say anywhere between a kilo and two kilos per month um after that first initial kind of spike in weight would be kind of reasonable Mm in terms of amassing face
0: yeah do you agree yeah well i mean obviously i guess i would i would probably work on a percentage basis on just because people are different like two kilos for a 40 kilo female might Mm -hmm. seem like a hell of a lot and it probably is quite a lot but yeah yeah i mean obviously those numbers don't don't differentiate. i mean i i I usually go maybe quarter percent to half percent per month yeah. And obviously, I've seen people. If you look at my rate again in a minute, it's probably about 2% per month. And I'm not even exaggerating, <laughs>
1: yeah. um,
0: which I'll talk about in another episode because I'm doing a little personal experiment. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I think half, like, quarter percent to half percent is quite well recognised, I think, for most people. I mean, I kind of took that stuff maybe from like the SBS Academy that I did. And obviously, they're the recommendations from Sir Dr. of Eric Helms. Um, and I kind of think yeah that feels like a deep I mean obviously so if you're like I don't know say you're 200 pound male decent sized male you know what's that that's a pound of, no what's that so that's half would be one yeah half a pound a month what they one pound a month fuck me Mike. why can't I work it out? that out that easily I've got an A level in maths that I can't work it out Was it,
1: did you say half a percent so, so yeah
0: half percent so half that'd be two one yeah so it'd be a pound a month yeah God, I don't know why it's so bad to, how it's so difficult to work out though. um we-
1: It probably seems like, I don't know, I'd say that seems quite slow. I think you could probably push it up, depending on your goals and how much. Well, yeah, depending on your goals, I think you could probably push it up a little more
0: than that. Uh, Well, obviously, a a half percent is the slow end. And when you say it like, oh, a pound a month seems quite slow. It it is slow, definitely. Um,
1: I think that would be if you were looking to minimise
0: any fat gain, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I suppose that's. I would say that that for the for the people that are psychologically have an issue with putting on body fat, for the people that want to don't want to give themselves more work dieting body fat off afterwards, then Mm -hmm. stick at that end, you know, go up to the half percent per month, which obviously again you know like is then I mean it's still only only two pounds say, but um, you know, the the idea is obviously. It kind of aligns with the fact that, you know, we would recommend those figures per week for weight loss, but per month for for muscle gain because the the, the kind of the, the the mechanics of it um, are so different in terms of speed between weight loss and and obviously muscle gain. Yeah. Because I mean, obviously, there's people that go on the old dreamer bulks, um, aka me at the minute, and just like overdo it, overshoot it, and you end up just kind of having like a huge surplus most of it being body fat and yes you might say well you are optimizing your amount of muscle gain because you're feeding your training as best you can you're giving it all as much substrates you maximize muscle protein synthesis most likely and therefore you are kind of creating this optimal solution for muscle gain but it's also very very optimal for body fat gain which may yeah. then in the long run not be overall optimal when you then take into account both factors that you have to then diet harder and longer afterwards mm. so
1: i think sometimes it can be for certain people it can be more like the kind of dreamer bulk can be almost like a, a psychological if you've been a dieting or if you felt like you've been really restricted in your diet and then someone tells you right we're going to gain this tiny little bit of weight a month you might not even feel like you're in a surplus you might still feel restricted if you've got like a huge appetite or something you might still feel restricted or still feel like like you're getting a little bit of diet fatigue and stuff even though you're in a tiny bit of a surplus because it's still so controlled yeah which i guess is why it completely depends on the person their psychol like their psychological state what their goals are previous diet history as to i suppose what we'd recommend
0: yeah no for sure and obviously for people listening that don't have a coach what they should then decide for themselves um yeah what did you just say something i want to pick up and no, i've forgotten what you, just, what you just said it's instantly left my head Mind uh, what you said?
1: The psychological release of kind oh, of not the surplus
0: thing. Sorry, yeah, just come. Yeah. it's instantly come back. So, I would say though, yes, you're you're right in that part, but I think like it's also a message people should hear, it, and what I mean by that is, for people that are looking to go into mass gaining phase, the likelihood of you go, suddenly your mindset changing from I feel deprived and restricted because I've been dieting to it's fine now though because when I bulk next week, I'm gonna have all the freedom in the world. That's unlikely to happen if you want to do it optimally or you know efficiently because we would probably only recommend, uh, jump ahead a little bit I suppose, we would only recommend a smallest surplus for the reason I just said in terms of you just, the, the actual rate of muscle gain you do is so slow or so small that the amount of surplus you need is pretty low if not not even that far for maintenance mm-hmm. and for most people that's not going to seem a significant calorie increase so you like the diet fatigue bit aside you're not going to suddenly go i feel like i'm eating everything i've got loads of freedom in terms of what i can eat because the difference of you dieting and the difference of you bulking might literally only be a few hundred calories or 500 calories say which in the grand scheme of it is adding in one meal yeah. so from feeling maybe restricted and deprived dieting to you know, adding in one meal is not gonna be the a world's ends of difference. So it's that's a message I think it's worth hearing because I often said like diet breaks in the prime example, when people go, Oh, I'm on a diet break or something gonna feel great. No, you're gonna have a bit more food, but it is gonna be a bit more mentally prepare yourself that like you're not suddenly going to have feeling like you're eating all the time. It might feel a little bit like that because of just, you know, you felt you had a little food before now you've got enough. But mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. And I think off the back of that for other people. Um so maybe someone that's already been lean and is thinking about pushing their calories up a bit. Sometimes you can push your calories up and not see much progress or not see much um so when we're saying, Oh, you only need to eat a little bit more, sometimes you'll eat a little bit more and your body will adapt to that and then you have to eat a little bit more and a little bit more, a little bit more. And that's where you kind of get those guys that are hard gainers or those guys that are eating so much food, but seemingly not gaining much weight at all. Um, yeah, I suppose that's another thing to consider that your body, like it adapts to dieting, it doesn't adapt as much to overeating, but you do tend to lose a bit more energy through heat, lose a bit more energy through moving. When you're carrying a bit more weight around, you burn more energy just doing day-to-day tasks. Um, so, yeah, I suppose knowing when to... When to but like when you
0: pit a plateau, when to push calories up as well. Yeah, No, that, that's fair point. And I'm glad you said about the fact that people adapt, like people tend to adapt quite well downwards in terms of dieting. But you do get some people that adapt really well upwards, but it's probably less common. More like our bodies tend to, on the whole, don't like to... They deal with um, overeating... A lot worse than they do under eating as in their bodies adapt quite well to under eating uh, to ma- to maintain calorie balance and basically kind of not starvation mode but adapt to to basically create less of a deficit because it doesn't want to starve to death basically whereas mm-hmm. overeating it seems to have not so much of an issue in putting on body fat yeah for most people there are some people that are just freaks that are just you know, like suddenly going to overdrive and like you say just seem to be able to push their calories up way way above what they were like maybe maintaining on because they just seem to adapt like you say but I would say that's less common in my experience than, and I think the research says that as well.
1: I think it's, yeah, I would say it's definitely less common, but I think it's more common for someone that's probably been lean all their life to run into that problem in terms of having to push their calories up a bit more.
0: Yeah. I'd probably probably agree. Although I can't say I know any research on it, if I'm honest, or whether that's, maybe that's
1: anecdotal, but I think there is.
0: I'm not, I I do, I do agree. Yeah. But yeah. like I said, I don't, I don't know whether that's like, because the term hard gain is sometimes you're like, oh man, I find it really struggling on weight. And then you find they just don't eat enough. And it's, not, it's not that they're really eating much more than anyone else. They just tend to have really shit appetites. And yeah. you know they, yeah. they say they're eating all the time. But when you actually look at a food diary, they like eat one meal a day of junk food, which equates to a couple thousand calories. And then they don't eat the rest of the time.
1: But there is there is research that looks at like say you take a population and then you feed them all a thousand calories over their maintenance for X amount of period mm-hmm. and some of them gain loads of weight and some oh, of them sure. gain barely any at all.
0: There, there was um, quite- there was research between uh, not monozygotic. What's the opposite of identical identical twins? Basically, they had obviously there was research of twins. with did exactly that, and even the twins differed yeah. with the same genetics almost, which is weird.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And uh, like on a very, um, I suppose, a small small study that we did just during my master's, we overfed people by uh, 40% for two weeks. And we had a bunch of people that gained no weight at all through those two weeks. And that was like weighing them first thing in the morning on the same calibrated scales and giving them their food for the day every day and them eating it. Um, so we prepared it all and they went away and ate it. Some people put on a couple of kilos, and some people put on nothing at all. It was mad. We were like mind blown that these people had eaten so much and mm. literally gained no weight.
0: Unless they're chucking their lunch in the bin because they don't want to take it to school.
1: We were so I like that. am <laughs> j-
0: joking. I'm no, joking.
1: No, that is a fair point. But we were selective in terms of our participants, and most of them were like PhD students that understood the, I suppose, the importance of adherence to the study. Um, so ordinarily, if I saw a study, I would say, "Oh yeah," but maybe they weren't actually eating all the food. But we were like pretty confident that everyone was eating what we were yeah.
0: giving them. Well, I, I, I joke really, but, but I suppose I mean the only thing I would say I joke, but then criticising myself slightly about joking. There's people that know they shouldn't smoke and they they do. So yeah, you know it this- is
1: true. If I saw a study so, and the results seemed really like whack or oh they were eating a thousand calories more and they didn't gain weight I would say yeah.
0: I don't I don't uh, think that's I don't think that's outlo- that. I don't think that's complete that's not whack the, what you're saying anyway because they, there's plenty of other research um, or clinical studies that are trials that have done exactly the same and like yeah. often you'll see like the, you know the, the research will give you median answers and, and averages across groups but you'll see massive inter-variability between individuals um, where some people like you say do put on loads of weight overfeeding some people seem to not put on any weight over feeding. Like I said, I just think it's more common for people to adapt downwards than upwards for the most part. But it's obviously a yeah. point that people need if that bulk in that need to be aware of in case like they think, Oh, I don't this bulk in thing's not really working, I'm not putting any weight, but I'm seem to be eating all this food. Well it might be a case of that you are one of these people that seem to adapt, um and you just need to increase your calorie intake or reduce mm-hmm. your energy expenditure.
1: I suppose that comes on to um another point that we kind of talked about before in terms of other ways that people can track the progress of their bulk um i.e gym performance so you might be someone that is eating more and your weight doesn't seem to be moving up but all of your lifts are shooting up your intensity in the gyms improving and like other markers are just like flying um so yeah, it might not all be
0: about scale weight. No, for sure. I mean, it might be your clothes fit better. Like, yeah. there might be a case of, like, your scale weight's not going up, but all of a sudden the, the, the clothing fits differently than it did before. Or mm-hmm. I, I, I suppose it's probably less common, because I suppose most people do probably put on some level of body fat and clothing just starts to feel a bit tighter. But then that might be what they're looking for. They know, mm-hmm. actually, you know, I'm starting to fill my shirt, even though my weight's not up. I'm starting to fill my shirt compared to what I did say. Or. Yeah. I do like the performance in the gym. I think it just also takes people's mind off some of the the negative associated. Not because obviously weighing is a great tool for people managing weight and losing weight. I think when you're gaining weight, I don't I don't think this as useful. And I think it's probably better to focus on other stuff. And I think if you can get people to focus on performance based stuff rather than kind of those metrics that we use, like weight, scale weight. I think it does help a lot more. Yeah. Um, just for, like us from a, again a psychological or aspect. So. Um, And
1: also training is, well, training is the stimulus that you need to grow your muscle. So if your training is, if you're lifting more weight, if you're hitting more reps, if you're managing to push the intensity, if that's all kind of progressing, you're going to be providing more of a stimulus to grow muscle.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because we should have caveated that. Mm. Very much training is the fundamental principle you need in place to gain muscle basically you can't train like shit, go on a calorie surplus, eat all the protein in the world and expect to get a lot of muscle because you mm-hmm. likely won't. Um you can probably do the opposite of that. Have brilliant training, not eat enough and I that's slightly contradictory, but just go with the example. Not eat enough and have poor protein levels and do better. Because your is gonna be the most influencing. Like this is a tangent, but I, like, I always think this is something that I, I tell people when they worry and stress about minor details of nutrition, and one of them being like protein synthesis, and oh, I must get regular protein servings, or I must have a protein serving after the gym, et cetera, because if not, my workout's wasted, I'm not gonna gain as much. And yes, optimally, it would be better to do that, but people seem to forget about the fact that elevated levels of muscle protein synthesis are way, way higher from a bout of training than they are from anything mm-hmm. you can put in your mouth. Yeah. So, like, you're you, you can train like basically muscle protein synthesis from eating a, a serving of protein, what, last two, three hours, four mm-hmm. hours. Whereas, and even that might be underdoing slightly. I guess there's some some talk around, obviously, actually, our protein f- or I amino mean, acids being fed for longer. But by the way, when you think about training, it can be like 48 hours. It can be elevated for like 48 hours. So you all yeah. you've got to suddenly see like actually, I'm, if I'm worrying about protein. And getting regular protein servings and stuff. It's the small details and the small rocks compared to is my training good and am I creating enough s- stimulus through training to ele- to basically elevate protein synthesis and create enough stimulus to- to- for hypertrophy or strength or whatever I'm trying to do.
1: Yeah, so, yeah,
0: 100%. So just to reiterate, because I rambled a lot, training mm-hmm. first, nutrition augments or supports that, not the other way around. Yeah. Because you, you, if you eat loads of protein and sit on your ass all day, you're, not, you're just going to gain fat, you're not going to gain any muscle. Uh-huh.
1: And that's, I think that is the mistake that a lot of people make is they go, oh, I'm going to bulk, I'm going to get huge. And then they eat loads and don't pay attention to their training and do just get fat. Mm -hmm. And then they go, oh, bulking's rubbish, I just
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think um, so, like, I would suggest from a training perspective, make sure that you have, obviously, a decent program, um, sufficient volumes, but also that your form's in check and that you're providing the right stimulus, because yeah i agree that's probably a fundamental issue a lot of people have um in terms of calorie intakes or surplus or setting a surplus so i've got a couple things on my mind that i'm thinking which i'd like you to just kind of comment on so one the amount of surplus but two how do you get to that surplus kind of like would you would you implement any type of reverse diet or how do you go from maybe like i've been in a diet or yeah how do you go from like i was in a diet to now i want to bulk okay um, a so
1: I think very much it depends again on how hard you dieted. Um so say you're a bodybuilder and you get down to stage levels of leanness, you're going to want to put on some weight pretty quickly. Um so you maybe might be a little bit more assertive in getting yourself into a surplus. I think for most people, if they've dieted for a while, what I will always do is bring them up to maintenance for a couple of weeks or the new predicted maintenance. So you need to remember that when you lose weight, your maintenance calories will come down. So if you're maintaining on 2,000 before, you're probably not going to be maintaining on 2,000 after you diet. Um, so bring them back up to the new level of um, predicted maintenance. Let them sit there for a little while, two, a couple of weeks, and then start implementing small calorie increases from there. Cool. Agreed?
0: Yeah, 100%. Um so if they've not dieted
1: Uh, so if they haven't dieted I suppose presuming that they are tracking their intake because obviously people that haven't dieted may not be tracking their intake so take someone that has been tracking their intake and they have an idea of whereabouts their calories sit to maintain Um, I would probably look at again depending on body size so I don't really know what it is the percentages. But depending on how much they weigh and how much of a percent it is of their calories, probably around 10% to start. Would you say?
0: I'll be honest again. I probably now go the opposite, where I just go for a calorie amount over maintenance. If you know the maintenance, I think like... I don't... No, actually. Maybe a quick, No, I think normally I would probably just go, in my opinion, and it is, again, individualised based on many factors, psychological and physiological and stuff as well. But usually it works out around 2, 3, four, maybe 500-calorie surplus rather than a percentage as such. Albeit, I think I would probably agree in the principle of that if you're a smaller female, as an extreme example, I would go on the lower side, then I wouldn't be probably put most people on a 500-calorie surplus as a female if their intake is only a thousand anyway to maintain originally yeah quite
1: big No, I, I would usually do a calorie amount as well but i was trying to work out what it would be as a percent. yeah
0: yeah so i really i don't really ever consider a calorie amount when i'm setting people's kind of like like massing or bulking calories i used yeah. uh, sorry a percentage i usually just go with a straight calorie figure but i adjust it based on my gut feel really on terms of you know the things i have just said
1: yeah and i suppose how well well a, a range of factors if this person is lean and wants to start into a massing phase you might go straight in for 400 500 calories um but if someone's coming out of a diet you might be more conservative or if someone has that fear of gaining body fat um because they've been previously overweight or just has a fear of gaining weight then you might start more conservative like 100 to 200 calories so yeah it depends on the person as well very much so
0: i was going to try and find um the study but I can't get into my. Um, uh, I can't get into my study files to check the name of it, but I can't remember what it was called now. But I'm sure it was a study by Schoenfeld where they compared groups of people and fed, basically overfed one group by something like I don't know, 600 calories, another group by 200. I'm just plucking numbers off, but I think they're about right. Um, and they basically measured the body composition before and after in terms of how much lean body mass they put on and how much body fat. And there was basically almost very little difference between the two. I think it was mm-hmm. felt. Correct me if you know the study I'm talking about. or if I...
1: Uh, I don't, off the top of my head, okay. no.
0: But I think, so essentially what that, and this is why I tend to go at the smaller surplus side, i.e. like the couple of hundred for most, because, you know, that research kind of shows you that the more you overeat, you just put on a higher uh, proportion or ratio of body fat. Then yep. so... Like a couple under surplus for most people is enough because one you're not in a deficit anymore so you shouldn't really be kind of you know by by definition you're in an energy maintenance or surplus at least so your training should be all right as long as you kind of probably periodize your nutrition well enough to support your training um, and obviously you've got all your form things and stuff we already talked about and yet you then got a ex- few extra substrates to probably help with like an increased response to M P S. So obviously we know that nps is decreased when you're in a deficit even with the same amount of protein servings and stuff all the, the you know the same amount of um, protein stimulus so that should be optimal and then obviously that extra like 400 carries over that couple of hundred for most people probably just means more body fat gain which then means yeah. more dieting time afterwards which is why i tend to look at the, the lower amount so I, I'll, I'll find that today. i might put it in the show notes because i can't remember the name but i was going to try and find it but um yeah, yeah I- but-
1: you know which you mean, but I don't
0: know who it's by. No, I thought it was Shovin. Well, I could, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean that's it. So 600 versus 200, the 200 people gained almost the same amount as the 600. That kind of says it all. I don't need to say much more. Same leave.
1: amount of lean body mass as yeah,
0: the yeah. The 600 yeah. Group just just had more body fat on top almost. Um, I mean, it they li- think...
1: they gained more total weight having 600 calories yeah. surplus. Just the same amount of lean body, body yeah.
0: mass. Yeah, and I'm I'm assuming most people aren't looking to gain just body weight. they gain they're looking to gain lean. Lean body mass, so mm-hmm.
1: it depends if you're what your goals are. A lot yeah. of the powerlifters I know, they just want to get, <laughs> get yeah, out well the-
0: that, that's that's a fair so, consideration, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So we're I'm assuming body composition. If you're looking yeah. for potentially performance, or even like if you're out of a bodybuilding show, like you say, hormonally and to get back to a better health, they probably want to get back like put on body fat because mm-hmm. they want to obviously get to a, a, a place of more healthfulness. And obviously mm-hmm. a powerlifter wants to be heavier so basically they can shift more weight in, on the platform. Yeah. So worth, that's a good consideration worth pointing out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, for
0: sure. Okay. So a cool. couple hundred calorie surplus or maybe a bit more, but obviously, again, depending. In terms of... So I've kind of already talked a little bit around protein servings and meal frequency. What are mm-hmm. your thoughts on considerations for that?
1: So I tend i tend to Uh,
0: sorry can Can i can i can i stop your thoughts actually and just go back a step in terms Uh of amounts of protein and then Uh maybe just go straight into how you distribute it and stuff if you would okay i missed that bit Um, probably people want to know
1: so i was going to say what i tend what we tend to do when people are in a deficit is have protein more on the higher end just because research has shown that that's going to help reduce muscle mass loss and also has a satiating effect. Um, And so usually around, I usually go for like two grams per kilo um, when people are dieting. And then when people swap into a massing phase and you are, I anecdotally find that people can continue to eat around about two grams per kilo, but because they're eating so much food it's actually quite hard for them to eat less because they have more coming from lower quality protein sources so for example you have you get protein from pasta you get protein from bread you get protein from all sorts of other sources vegetables that Mm. aren't high quality protein sources and when you put someone on more calories you have more protein coming from those less high quality sources so i tend to leave people's protein targets around about the same and they don't actually need that two grams per kilo of high quality protein but by leaving their protein total goal at two grams it means that you're getting at least between 1.6 and 1.8 grams of high quality protein
0: so you're basically no you did you did perfectly so i surmise that as that if I understand it, you leave their protein probably higher than you think they need on a bulk because they need yeah. less protein in your eyes or which, is, you know, a of the research, um, yeah. when they're bulking than compared to dieting, um, mm-hmm. to create a little buffer basically for the residual protein you get in poor quality sources, like the vegetables, like, like, you know, like you say, a 40 gram protein meal in a, in a chicken, vegetables and whatever else like rice, mm-hmm. there's protein in the rice, there's protein in the vegetables, and obviously they're not as good a quality, so that might mm-hmm. only be thirty-five grams is actually good quality and five grams in the rest of it isn't as good. So you're just basically creating a buffer to allow the make sure they still get enough quality protein.
1: Yeah, exactly so, that. And I also think that people struggle if you bring their protein gold down, they struggle to actually keep their protein that low because of all of the other because of all the other sources of protein coming in.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, I guess there's an element as well, as if you are one of those people that don't have a great appetite keeping protein higher on a bulk isn't probably conducive to to obviously help manage that appetite Mm. because obviously you're going to basically make yourself feel fuller when you're trying to get more food in
1: yeah so there's another reason
0: to maybe bring protein down if you're in a bulk and you have appetite issues that doesn't happen to me don't get me wrong i still eat a billion grams of protein when i'm even when i'm bulking Mm. because i am an insatiable pig but
1: i suppose the risk i think the risk of doing that so i've seen with well, even just some of my friends that are powerlifters, is they go, I'm not dieting anymore, I don't need as much protein, and they bring their protein total goal down, and then you actually look and they're having like half a chicken breast with their meal because they're getting so much protein from other crappy sources. Mm-hmm. They're actually, they're probably under-eating on the quality protein, and it, it's just something that I have seen with people. Um, so, that- yeah, it's some something to
0: think about yeah.
1: going into mass. Base to still get enough quality protein
0: for sure um in terms of like meal frequency then and i'm you know, obviously alluding to kind of like muscle protein synthesis and stuff and maximizing that what do you recommend people do
1: so i suppose if you want to be really optimal um probably four to five servings of protein throughout the day with a slightly higher serving of protein probably around the 40 50 gram mark before you go to bed or within a couple of hours of going to bed um, just to maintain muscle protein synthesis into the night um, would be optimal. And I guess the thing to stress is like we've already alluded to with the training stuff is if that doesn't fit your lifestyle, then it's not the end of the world. You're not going to like not, not gain muscle at all because you can't have five. You can only fit in three meals a day, for example. Um, But yeah, if you wanted to be completely optimal between four and five,
0: there's an argument i suppose like the difference between someone not doing that and someone doing it for optimality purposes might even be immeasurable certainly yeah. in the short term even over many years it might still be quite immeasurable that's how mm-hmm. that's how like we don't mechanistically it makes sense to to do what you've just said but yeah there's no really long longitudinal studies that show if you do this you're going to gain five pounds more muscle over five years like it might even yeah. be you might gain 50 grams of muscle more mm-hmm. over five years which none of us would even notice. So. No. Oh,
1: the, other, the other thing would be to try and leave it three to four hours between your servings. Why is that? Beautiful. Um, so once you spike muscle protein synthesis, um, oh God, I don't know how to describe it in like an easy way. Is it like once you spike it, um, it then needs to come back down below the threshold. So the amino acids in like the amino acid pool needs to come back down below the threshold to then re-spike it. So... If you just kind of maintain a level of constant, well, if you maintain a level of constant protein feeding, your body isn't as sensitive to the protein feedings. Did I? Is that? I think so. Yeah. They, pretty they, much. They, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, to put it into kind of an, not analogy, into context, I suppose for people, if uh, people didn't understand, they they have in air quotes they have done a study. <laughs> I can't remember the study authors were, but where they did exactly that, where they basically gave people like protein servings and watched the response to the positive side of muscle building, I. Mm-hmm. i.e., protein synthesis. Um, mm-hmm. And they compared them to groups where they pulsed the same amount of protein over longer periods. And there was a reduced overall response in the pulsing group compared to the people that waited out, like what we call the refractory period, of basically three or four hours to let, you know, like you say, to go back the amino acids go back to baseline um, to then spike it again. So, optimally, you would do that. But mm-hmm. I think, like you say, I just want to reiterate for people the adherence part. And if it doesn't suit your lifetime, don't stress about it because the difference is, again, going to be like hardly anything. I think it's way more complex than that, anyway. And that's obviously mechanistically yeah. sounds like quite, oh, that makes sense. But I think, like, protein, what type of protein you have, the quality of it, how quick it's going to digest, um, even like the amount, like we know you can only stimulate protein to a certain amount, which is the levels you've suggested, kind of that, like, I don't know average 40 grams I guess it's going to be different on body weight mm-hmm. as well but um, you know just say I average 40 grams if somebody's 80 grams that mean 40 grams wasted well well, no that protein is still digested and used and there's still some, some ideas that oh, well, is the, are those amino acids going to sl- just slowly feed through and just digest slower and still be used for muscle building well potentially yes so that's why, it's, mm-hmm. why I think it's way more complicated and people probably shouldn't stress about this type of stuff just do what do like aim for optimal maybe if just, just because obviously that's all we can base stuff on in terms of mm-hmm. the research and stuff that we do know, but certainly don't stress about it is no, what I'm rambling agree. about.
1: I'd say if people want a take home, the thing that you should probably try and focus on is getting at least well, three to four optimal five doses of protein of thirty to fifty grams in one serving, thirty to forty probably grams in a serving and make sure it's from a high quality so dairy animal products like meat eggs um whey protein
0: you've clearly not watched the game changes oh, you so your science is so outdated There's i'm Netflix so anti-vegan
1: now. aren't i <laughs> 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 having said that two of my clients at the moment are vegan and you can still make it work as a vegan it's fine you just have to think a lot more about your protein sources and the different combinations of proteins that you are having in each meal I, I'm not anti-vegan at all
0: <laughs> we're not We to, oh, the amount of caveats we had to do on the episode with Luke because we didn't want to come across as vegan bigots but um, I, the thing I do find with vegans and vegetarians in terms of trying to optimise like protein intake it's just so hard to do from the vegan sources without carrying along additional calories from other macronutrients because mm-hmm. there's so few like high quality other than soy There's so few high-quality protein sources that, you know, that doesn't come with, like, fucking loads of carbs, especially, or some fats, but usually carbs. I'd say a
1: lot of them tend to eat a higher-carbohydrate diet because a lot of the protein comes along with carbs.
0: So
1: I maybe use a higher-carbohydrate, lower-fat approach with my vegan clients.
0: Just, Just to keep calories in check, yeah?
1: Keep calories in check. Or if they happen to be lucky enough to be on a reasonable amount of calories then obviously just making sure
0: that fats <laughs> are
1: <laughs> that is bloody hell nice. uh fireworks going off in the background um but yeah one thing is a lot of the vegan products have like i suppose like uh, have fats in them that come from like the processed m- meat in air quotes side of things so one thing I do try to do with some of my vegan clients is get them to try and minimise the fat that they get from those sorts of products, and actually make sure that they do include some "quote unquote" again healthy fat sources, such as like nuts or avocados, mm. just to make sure that they're getting a good profile of fats, not just kind of the stuff that you find in the fake meat products.
0: Yeah, because obviously they like they tend to add a lot of additional um, fats into those meat products. I was in looking just today yeah. at. Uh, like beyond burger i think it was the brand i can't remember yeah, yeah. but i was looking in them in tesco today and they had like various different plant-based like meat steaks and burgers and stuff and i was just kind of looking at some of the ingredients and obviously they're all very high fat content because one mm-hmm. they obviously they need to make them taste better yeah um which obviously i guess is probably difficult from just plant-based sources to make them taste like one more like meat but also to actually make mm-hmm. them taste all right mm-hmm. um and the, the, the actual ingredients and the types of fats in them aren't necessarily ideal, like so they don't have the best yeah. profiles, um, and certainly all seem to be quite similar, so like you say, to get other other things like more mono and polyunsaturated in there as well, rather than kind of the, the poor saturated fat sources. Yeah, yeah I, can, I concur, I've had the same mm-hmm. conversations, so.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Okay, cool. T- cover that one off. T- so we've also talked already about kind of appetite and protein, so some of the pitfalls of people that are bulking so let's just kind of think if you've got let's just cover both both aspects in terms of whether you kind of got no appetite because maybe you're a hard gainer and you don't have a particularly great appetite and you've never been able to kind of put yourself in the surplus very easily um or maybe you're being a long-term dieter that has the fto gene and can't seem to ever satisfy their appetite what approach do you take to both (laughs) well opposite ends of the spectrum
1: I think for both it's quite important that you do have a good grasp of what it is that you're actually eating so I think there's quite a it could be quite easy for someone to go right I'm bulking now throw my fitness pal out the window I'm just gonna free eat wheel. to hunger or eat loads of food or free yeah free wheel. but I think for the person that maybe finds it harder to gain weight you often end up in the situation like you said before where they have one big junky meal and then they're not hungry for the rest of the day so they don't eat so then they end up not eating enough and then likewise for the person that maybe is more prone to overeating um they think oh it's fine i'm bulking and they end up eating actually way more of a surplus than they even realize slash is necessary um so i think having some grasp of what you're eating whether that's through tracking or whether it's through a a more of a like a a meal plan sort of approach or like a habit-based sort of approach um is useful a mm. useful tool
0: yeah i i think from so from from like someone that's previously dieted and maybe still has quite the appetite not that that's always the case but you know I'm just using that as an, as an example um i do think it's useful for people to still to carry over some of their habits mm-hmm. so to carry over some of the habits of high protein higher fiber foods more whole foods less yeah. junk food less hyper palatable stuff which is going to cause more appetite they're obviously things that will help manage your appetite so if you're mm-hmm. bulking and you're struggling to even maintain a, as we said, already a not a, a hugely high caloric intake, because we're not suggesting everyone goes into the dream of bulk and have a huge surplus, then carrying some of going to good. And basically the opposite, if you're, in my opinion, if you're like a hard gainer or don't have a big appetite, maybe you don't eat so much protein um, as long as you're covered your requirements that we already talked about, and maybe don't eat so much high fibre stuff. Make sure you still get enough in, but you can probably afford mm-hmm. to have some more hyper palatable stuff or some easier stuff to, to consume that isn't gonna, that's gonna basically help you eat more, like more liquid calories, more junk foods, more that type of stuff, which is the opposite we do if you're, if you're kind of got appetite issues. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. One major thing, one mistake I have seen people make when going into a bulking phase and they are maybe a hard bulk or they're trying to eat lots of hyper palatable food to get calories in is still make sure that you're not I mean a dick with your food quality basically you still need fiber otherwise you're going to really struggle (laughs) um and not have a good time at all and you still need to have some micronutrients in your diet like you do still need to have some vitamins and minerals Mm. coming from your foods like basically don't be a dick with your diet. <laughs> yeah. Like don't eat like a child. Um. Still make sure that you do cover basic nutrition, which is yeah, getting some vegetables in, making sure you have some fibre. Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Those people just have a bit more freedom, but it doesn't mean, like you say, you've got all of the freedom to be a dick. Yeah. Um. I also think it's there. Are, there'll be some people that maybe dieted that, from a food this and this is a bit of a tangent, but from a from a like a food relationship perspective or psychological perspective. I do think there's some merit in getting away from, so even though I said some of the habits I think are useful for some people to carry over for their dieting habits into bulking because it still helps them maintain kind of like some level of a normal appetite and not, not be hugely insatiable. But I think there's also, from a psychological perspective, it's useful for people to try and start to, to kind of move away from some of the things that they maybe did in dieting. Some things that I've seen, which is quite regular where calorie hoarding, like many people in their dieting hoard their calories for the evening because that's where they struggle the most in terms of adherence and then Mm -hmm. when you're bulking people tend to still do that they tend to obviously still calorie hoard for the evening and they have a shit ton of calories in the in the evening which from a health perspective and things we now start to learn about circadian rhythms might not be optimal um from a performance perspective it might be more optimal to load more calories at the start of the day because obviously more energy for training and stuff like that rather than leaving at the night time so it's just some consideration where I think where that's just an example of like some dieting habits that people tend to carry over when it may not be best for their psychological or it might be like people still like cling on to diet foods. Like people are yeah. still having celeriac instead of fucking potato because they're yeah. trying to save carbs just so they can have ma- bigger meals. Like that might not be the best for your food relationships if you're still doing that twelve months into a bulk. That type yeah. of thing basically.
1: And I'd say likewise potentially things like going out for food. And stuff and enjoying more social occasions Mm. or special occasions if you've always kind of gone out and you've opted for a plain salad with a grilled chicken breast like it's probably a good idea again for your food relationship and your enjoyment of life and food because it is meant to be your well-being yeah yeah your well-being like maybe you should allow yourself to go out and have a pizza every so often I'm not saying all the time but like enjoy food and get back to not stressing so much about oh this is going to ruin my diet or oh this is going to take me a couple of calories over my intake and stuff like
0: that yeah for sure for sure um okay we've already touched on this point as well a little bit but carbs and mm-hmm. fats so you mentioned around like vegan and vegetarians and you maybe tend to have a lower fat approach for them a higher carb approach mm-hmm. what do you generally recommend for people
1: i think it comes a lot down to personal preference I think generally my first protocol call is usually carbohydrates because that is what fuels training um and generally by increasing people's carbohydrates especially around training it's going to help um them increase the intensity of their sessions help them lift more weight help them do more reps help them get more out of it but likewise if you're trying to push someone's calories up and they're struggling actually increasing carbohydrates can be quite difficult because it's more volume of food so in that case i might look to increase fats just because it's more calorie dense and it's a lot easier to get in um than it is to increase carbohydrates
0: yeah i suppose unless you're obviously some people do report high fat foods they have less of an appetite but again it yeah. comes down to that individual approach doesn't it i agree yeah. i think for two reasons one the fat carbohydrates are well i suppose there's three reasons one carbohydrates obviously provide energy to fuel training more so mm-hmm. than, than fat. So I think that's one reason to go higher carb, lower fat. This is outside of, it, of preference, by the way. Um, <laughs> also, protein obviously is anabolic in nature in terms of that it um, stimulates muscle protein synthesis, but there is no hormonal, like anabolic effect of fats, you know, whereas there is kind of with carbs because obviously it, oh, it's insulogenic, it obviously spikes insulin, mm-hmm. helps replenish glycogen. Um, so I think like if there were, if you had to make an argument of which would help muscle mass or growing muscle more out of higher fat, higher carb I would go higher carb purely on the basis of it's more intelligogenic and obviously more, more I mean it's not an anabolic hormone necessarily as such really but it has more of an anabolic response than what fat would so and then there's the other aspect of like the lipogenesis and the fact that people tend to put on less body fat on a higher carb diet certainly in the short term anyway but <coughs> Sorry, Jay has just dropped mm-hmm. a really insulogenic package out of our top cupboard, which made quite a loud noise. This is podcast is a very it's good. noisy podcast. It was uh, actually some chocolate pumpkin cake that now looks like it's in bits, Ooh. which I baked with my own bare hands. <laughs> Outrageous. Say sorry, <laughs> darling wife. Sorry. She so don't want the listeners to um, hear. <laughs> <laughs> Where was I? Uh, oh yes, DNL, the Nova Lipogenesis. So in the short term, we know that when you overfeed people on carbohydrates, because the body, basically, the the mechanisms into converting those carbohydrates into lipids in the body fat is something that is quite strenuous or um, isn't particularly efficient. So therefore, you usually find that in the short term, your body tends to find ways to remove that energy through... Thermogenesis through increased heat um, extract, through you know, digestion, or people just move around a bit more, they just become a bit more active than when you ever um, feed on fat. Whereas fat is already a fat molecule, it's pretty fucking easy to store easy, because it's yeah. already a fat molecule. So yeah. that's yeah. why, like, I, I, if you make an argument for either case, if you're massing, that's why I tend to go for a higher carb, lower fat approach for those reasons energy, yeah. because you're less likely to store fat, and because arguably carbs are more anabolic in air quotes than fat
1: yeah 100% agree um just trying to think the only the only caveat to that or not even a caveat but I would say if you've had someone or if I've had someone that's dieting particularly a female and they've had to bring their fat intake down really low below what we would consider optimal for health I would also look to bring that back up to an optimal for health so kind of 0.8 grams per kilo or so um level as well as increasing carbohydrates
0: yeah i mean it might be that that doesn't for some people if they're on low calories because you're you're kind of setting that fat amount for health reasons at a minimum really It might actually mean that's not really low low fat or high carb approach because they don't have enough calories to have a bulk of carbs it might be more 50 like a a more even ratio or might be that higher fat if they're on really low calories Um,
1: yeah i suppose that would be bringing them back up to maintenance and then when i'm looking at then pushing into a surplus it would probably be more so from carbohydrates
0: add more carbs yeah rather than add carbs and fat in the same ratio which yeah Yeah. that's probably a fair point like how do you then start like increases i I think for the reasons we already said about why we would choose a higher carb approach my approach is always I you generally add two carbohydrates only like you've got your protein covered once you've got your fat covered for health probably really the most room you've got is to keep adding carbohydrates yeah
1: yeah, agree.
0: In terms of um outside of nutrition then, cardio. Mm-hmm. Cardio mm-hmm. for fat loss, yay. Cardio for muscle gaining, yay or nay.
1: I don't know whether I'm a little bit biased because I'm one of the weird people or not weird people, I don't know what you think. Um but I think that there are so many more benefits of having some cardio in your program other than just to maintain a calorie deficit or like maintenance so I think there's massive psychological benefits of doing some cardio Um, there's massive health benefits in terms of just general heart health general cardiovascular health Um, so I would say for most people a little bit of cardio into everyone's programs is helpful.
0: I couldn't align more. Absolutely agree. That's why yep. I'm still doing some cardio.
1: Yeah, me too. <laughs>
0: Although, I did have a conversation today where the heavier I get, the harder I find it, the less I want to do it on the basis yep. of... I I suppose I'm a, I've am got an element of that. If I'm doing cardio, there's an element of competition within my own head that I want to perform. And I'm mm-hmm. finding it harder and harder to do. Like as an easy example, right? I did a 42-minute 10K, only a matter of i don't even know how long ago it was gonna you know, have seven or eight weeks ago mm-hmm. um and i ran 10 kilometers what day is it sunday so i ran it on friday and i literally just like at an absolute struggle managed to do 48 minutes so i've lost i've, I've, I've added six minutes on admittedly i am like i don't know fucking 11 pounds heavier or something but it just yeah. shows you like the detriment in performance because of the extra body fat I'm holding, the amount of oxygen requirements my body needs to, to kind of move that weight around and stuff. And I just, my fitness just is going through the floor. Yeah. Um, and that does make me like, I don't want to do it because like, I feel like I want to go out and I want to be able to perform what I can do, but I can't, I just, I just can't do it. My legs can't take it. My lungs can't take it, especially my lungs are definitely a limiting factor, albeit my legs still obviously find it hard to move around, but yeah, that, that's obviously an element of like the heavier I get, the more I should do it and the less I want to do it.
1: Very similar with me. I, I said at the beginning, I went for a run during the week and the last time I was good at running, I was a good 10, possibly even 15 kilos lighter than I am now. Mm. And it just completely changes the movement. Like I feel like I'm plodding, whereas before I used to like bambi along. And yeah. I know that I train for completely different goals, but it is... Being heavier makes cardio harder,
0: for sure. I just, I just, the conversation I had today with my training partner is like, I just find it difficult to go out and just leisurely do it. Like, I Mm -hmm. find it difficult to go out and... Because what I could do is go, I'm not going to even measure my time or my performance. And I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to run and just do it at a pace that's comfortable and enjoy it. But I just find that difficult. I just, for me, like, I don't enjoy running that way. I I don't really enjoy running full stop. And I've said about the podcast before, but I think everyone's a liar. They say they enjoy running. But there's obviously hmm. aspects of it I like, like run as high, which is a real thing, um, yeah. which is obviously aligned with your point around doing it for well-being and mental health and stuff like that. I think there's a huge thing in that, um, the positive benefits of doing it. Um, but the physical part of running, I don't like it. I almost need the comp- competitive side for my brain to be able to, to do it like for me to be motivated to do it i need to have this competitive side of like times to beat or you know like get a good time if i if i just went out and didn't measure my time i think i would just struggle to be motivated to do it
1: yeah yeah no i'm i'm quite similar because i'm quite geeky with the data
0: mm. and
1: like i struggle to uh, the same go out for something leisurely especially when it comes to running and cycling but things that i can do leisurely are things like swimming because i've never been competitive with swimming i've never been particularly good so, I can swim just for pure pleasure, hmm. and I can probably do something like a spin class just for pure pleasure. It's only when I go back to doing things that I used to be good at that I then struggle with my competitive side.
0: Yeah. I, changing the, the topic slightly, I think there's probably also some benefits in doing some cardio for things like I'm going to sound really fucking guruish now, but like from like nutrient delivery and potentially like cardiovascular fitness and work capacity that might transition over mm-hmm. into like your training and stuff i think there's probably some elements that doing the cardio probably helps you more than just for health i think it, like as much as it feels like it's a con- contradictory thing to do when you're bulking because you know you're supposed to be in a calorie surplus you shouldn't be spending calories for willy-nilly because you're just making it harder to be in a calorie surplus potentially um i do think there's some element of that actually probably improves and i, I don't i don't know if there's any research on this i think there probably is like i just probably
1: it definitely improves
0: work capacity Yeah. well yeah I mean the work capacity part I was going to say I don't know if there's any research on the the point of does it help like like the longer term hypertrophy or growth of lean body mass or development of lean body mass because of things like nutrient delivery and
1: Mm.
0: blood flow and that type of stuff I reckon I probably should do some research into that area because in my head I've got somewhere I think I've heard it be talked about in that way
1: I think in terms of blood flow delivery I know that again I can't quote a paper off the top of my head but I think there's stuff around on like like an active recovery day by increasing blood flow around the muscles that have worked just that aiding recovery and therefore being able to go back into the gym and train harder
0: yeah for sure it's and that's that's, that's one part of it definitely yeah, yeah. so that, obviously that's one way it would probably improve performance for people because you recover better yeah um, but I was thinking there's also potentially some stuff around like it l- directly influences like basically the amount of lean body mass you can grow because of things like nutrient delivery to, to muscle cells and stuff like that but I might be wrong I don't know it'd be interesting to, to get someone that knows way more than obviously I do on it and, and talk about yeah. it or I could just do more research myself but yeah, That's makes
1: sense. So yeah, no. Yeah, now well, I want to go and read. <laughs> yeah,
0: um, <laughs> I have to stick something for my Mendeley now. I'm going to try and find a load of stuff for it. Um, but yeah, no. I think again, it's just another reason why I think I would still include it. I mean, I'm obviously, just to put in the context, I'm not saying include excessive amounts because for the reason mm. I said around kind to of maintain the calorie surplus, not creating too much fatigue and taking away from your gym sessions, especially if like you tend to find like the low like cardio base that involves more the lower half like especially running can be really detrimental to like lower body hypertrophy because you just tire yourself out like running does create quite a lot of eccentric damage which creates a lot of doms um delayed onset muscle soreness, which then might take away from your your gym performance like, i find like if i run i have to really strategically place this 10k run i'm doing once a week in my because it does if i did it any other time the one opportunity i've got i would struggle to think get my leg sessions done properly like to train twice a week on legs and then do running so you might yeah. find that the the form of cardio you do might be influenced like, or might be better influenced on your training, i.e. do like cycling, because there's usually, unless you kind of, you know, you wear um, cleats and obviously you have your, your uh, pedals stuck to your feet, where you then obviously are, there's a pulling motion in cycling, so you do cause a bit of eccentric damage. For the most part, there's way less eccentric damage and therefore less doms than it would be, and cycling, say, than running because running you're constantly having to stop, like, stop momentum so there's this like eccentric moment on your quads where they just hurt like if you, if you don't run and you go run for a while like if you haven't run for ages and you go for a run you tend to find you get like really bad sore quads and hip flexors like for the first couple of times
1: I was dead what? I had to squat on the day after I ran because I just didn't strategically place it at all I thought oh I'll just go out for a nice little 20 minute jog in my lunch break and my squat session was shite yeah
0: exactly <laughs> so you do have to worry about that
1: very sore Uh, But there is actually research into that. I think it's, I can't remember whether it was on, uh, I think, I can't remember it was maximum force output and then looking at concurrent training using running and then concurrent training using cycling. And the cycling had much less of a detrimental effect on the strength training and the running had quite a massive detrimental effect. And I feel like the cycling, because it also stimulates your quads in terms of like say you're on a watt bike and you do a a sprint like that's quite a stimulus to your quads to grow like if you look at track cyclists they have massive quads versus running because of the eccentric damage is more catabolic in nature
0: yeah you probably get you get far more work volume or work in cycling than you can do running and it obviously it mimics lower like, like lower body exercises that we tend to do like a squat say like mm-hmm. it, or it's closest, closest it's going to mimic far more than running does anyway yeah for sure so, yeah good reasons I think because this has turned out a lot longer than I thought but I think it has been some yeah, absolute no. golden information in that I think we've done um, well and I think we've covered off everything I wanted to talk about so um, anything you think of anything else
1: I think we've covered pretty much everything it's made me hungry
0: <laughs> lucky <laughs> enough I ate just before as you know yeah um, so yeah just to reiterate don't eat too much like a sensible surplus i think is a good thing don't worry too much about protein um Mm -hmm. timing um as in as in like yes try and space it out but most people do it quite naturally you know you have breakfast lunch and dinner maybe a snack before bed if you can kind of get protein certain to that you you're for the most part doing all right just basically Mm -hmm. if you're looking at optimally gaining muscle it's probably best not to have all of your 200 grams of protein in one meal at midday kind of thing but although you still could and i don't think it'd be huge problems but by the by, um, yeah, and obviously we're giving you some tips around appetite and managing that a little bit, and whether you should include maybe. Or we told you obviously about your carbs and fats ratio. Go for preference, mm-hmm. but we tend to prefer a higher carb approach. But again, it's probably not going to be a night and day difference between the two. So again, adherence and uh, preference going to probably overrule anything that we've said. And probably recommend doing some form of cardio, unless you really fucking hate it and then don't want to. But I think there's, like you say, I want to reiterate your ever so um valid point of there's more benefits to doing cardio than just um keeping body fat down dieting or even enhancing muscle mass there's way more to it from from a health perspective and also psychological health well-being mental health that type of stuff yeah cool boom um there is no good product bad product unless you've got any off your top of your head you can think of because i didn't try any many new products this week that i can think of that are worth talking about so
1: uh I don't think I've tried anything new really. Oh I've brought myself a slow cooker and mm. if anyone follows me on Instagram I've literally been going on about it well, I feel like I've been going on about it loads. You're uh,
0: late to the party. Like I've been doing I've been doing slow cookers since two thousand and
1: one. But nine nine pounds from Tesco. I think mine's only
0: about a tenner from Tesco's as well. Oh uh, good. And if it if it if it um if it uh not compounds, what's the word? reinforces how much you love your slow cooker as i say mine was just a, literally a cheapy stripey value one for kind of from Tesco's for like a teller yeah. or something and i've had it literally for about 15 years and it's still going so yeah
1: i love it i can't believe i'm this late to the party i can't believe i went through all my student years but never
0: oh. never used it. i but also made... noticed you made some pulled chicken in it
1: yeah i did
0: which i which I, again i will i've done every day well, actually, that's a lie. I haven't done recently, but up until probably a couple of months ago, I had every day for about two years straight. Every I week, know, I'd i would make the same I thing.
1: How you made that? That was in the slow cooker.
0: Yeah, just literally. That's really nice. So obviously, you've done it. But anyone listening, stick um, your chicken breasts in the slow cooker, um, cover to the top with water. I put I put a load of spices in, usually and some <laughs> flavorings and stuff. You don't have to, but obviously, it tastes nice if you do. Um, and then drain it off once it's cooked for like twelve. However long you uh, you want to cook it for, obviously long enough. Don't do eat raw chicken, people. Um, mm. And then, um, literally, if you get a, you don't have to. You can do it by my forks. If you get like a whisk, like, um, electric whisk, it will pull that shred that chicken in about four seconds. It's amazing. Oh. And you just got shredded chicken in four seconds. Just go, shroom, yeah. and done. And then uh, obviously just stick in whatever flavours or sauces you want. I to be honest, I tend to just have it like as it is, and then put my sauce on that when I eat it. Rather yeah. mix the sauce in first, but obviously you can just put in like a bottle of barbecue sauce or hot sauce or whatever you fancy in. I
1: cooked it... mine in the barbecue sauce. So I put in the slow cooker I put the chicken breasts, covered it in barbecue sauce, and then a bit of water just so it covered the top.
0: Yeah. And I then when do...
1: you break it down, it absorbs all of that.
0: Yeah. Bit. Well try try it the other way. Like if you literally <laughs> what I tend to do is I put my chicken in, cover it with whatever spices I'm using, so it kinda of almost like slightly marinades in, but doesn't really much because obviously I don't leave it long enough to do it. But I then just pour boiling water over it, so yes. um, just so it just about so just about covers the chicken, and then cooks it from there. And then I just drain the water off, and then shred it with a oh. whisk,
1: nice. um,
0: and then I add my sauce afterwards. So,
1: well, yeah, that's my good product for the week.
0: <laughs> okay, bad product, got it's bad product. If you try that, you thought was shit
1: really No. i don't okay. really think new other than the slow
0: cooker so well we normally go for like product being an actual food rather than a uh, cooking item yeah i know appliance, but... but that's that's still valid still perfectly yeah. fine what came up i do think that literally slow cooking meats are the best way to cook most meats like you can literally yep. turn a shit cut of meat into a really tasty piece of piece of meat by slow cooking it yeah agreed good boom right <laughs> i've enjoyed this very much francesca
1: me too. Enjoy having you
0: back. So um, do that. Yep. Yeah, let's obviously now. Now obviously, other than less the the new job starts taking up way more of your time again, but let's try and get a bit more regular again.
1: Yeah, I'd like yeah. that. I've enjoyed this. Good. It's a good way to spend the evening.
0: Absolutely. Right. On that note, say something right. funny to say bye. Ah.
1: <laughs> um. On the spot. Oh my god. <laughs> to someone say something funny
0: yeah well johnny goes johnny goes to Lou. that's johnny's thing to Lou. um i usually just like think i'm funny by saying like bonjour because i do know it means hello and not goodbye (laughs) anyway (laughs) on that note for
1: next week so i'm more prepared
0: (laughs) right bye listeners bye thanks for listening to the no nonsense nutrition podcast we'll speak to you all next week